Hey guys, welcome to Calvary HSM. We are a place where we want to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. Oh, oh, there we are. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab it. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 11 tonight. Hebrews is toward the middle of your New Testament, about three quarters of the way through the Bible. Um, you want to turn there on your, uh, on your cell phone or on uh, a hard copy Bible. Uh, that's where we'll be tonight. Hey, some of you know me, uh, others of you don't. Uh, my name is Brian Howard. I'm the teaching pastor here. Oh, gosh. I, I paid most of them to do that. Um, but but grateful to be with you here, and it's been a while since I've been able to teach in HSM, so grateful to be with you here as we make our way into the end of November and into December. Uh, what we're going to do tonight uh, is, is kind of cover some ground in Hebrews chapter 11 and cover uh, what I think and I hope and I pray uh, will be a really impactful subject for you. You know, it's been fun kind of being able to pop into high school ministry after camp. Uh, I spoke for you at summer camp. Who was at high school ministry summer camp this summer? Okay, a bunch of you were there, and, and, and I spoke for the, the summer. I had the greatest experience, though, about um, maybe six weeks ago, eight weeks ago. I was walking out. I was teaching in the main worship center with the adults, and I was walking out of the main worship center. And as I walked out, well, one of the middle school students ran up, uh, and as she saw me, she looks up at me and goes, no way, you go here? And I was like, I've been going here longer than you've been alive. Um, and, 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 and that was kind of the interaction. So it's just so great to be part of this church and be part of what God's doing here in your midst. Uh, and tonight, what I want to want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about a word. Um, and that word is one of these words uh, that we use, and I think sometimes we don't really use it properly. It's like one of those words we use, like, like uh, you notice how often people use the word perfect when it's not really perfect? They'll say like, hey, I'll call you at 7 p.m. tomorrow. You're like, perfect. Is that really perfect? Like, is your whole world perfection now that they're going to call you at 7? Or, or like we do this thing where we say things like literally. Like, ah, oh, it was so funny. We literally died laughing. And I'm like, no, you did not, Susan. You did not literally die. You know the reason I know that, Susan? Because you're telling me this story right now. See, what happens is we use these words, and we're not even fully sure what they mean, but we use them so much that it just feels normal to us. And yet when we actually don't think about what a word means, then we don't really know the weight of it when we use it. And the word I want to talk to you about tonight is a word that we use so often in church. And if you grew up in church like I did, you've used it a thousand times. But I want you to understand how weighty and beautiful of a word this is. And if you didn't grow up in church, this is actually the perfect night for you to be at church. See, tonight I'm going to define one of the central words of Christianity. And it's one of these words that you maybe heard out there in the world, but you get to hear what it means for us tonight. The word we're going to talk about is the word faith. It's the word faith. And tonight, tonight I want to give you the Bible's definition for the word faith. You see, because I believe it's one of those words that we think we're using properly when in fact we're not. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen. It says this. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So this is the place in the Bible that the word faith is actually defined for us. And faith, again, becomes this funky thing because sometimes people say, do you have faith? Or what faith do you practice? Or what faith do you believe in? And so what they're doing is they're talking about faith in the same way a lot of us talk about like a sports team we love. Like I am a football fan through and through. Even before the service started, I was just watching to see if the Eagles and the Bills and who would win. The Eagles won. But I'm a big, I know if you're an Eagles fan, I just, I'll pray for you. But, but, but for me, I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan. And so that's been my life, like cheering for this team. And I put on the jersey and I cheer for the team and I celebrate and I'm in with them when they win and I'm in with them when they lose. I am a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. 
Now you could tell me like, hey, have you ever played in a game with the Niners? I'd be like, no. Have you ever affected the outcome of the game in any meaningful way? I'd say, no, but I'm a fan. And here's what I think a lot of people think of when they think of faith. Like they use the word faith and they think of faith kind of like being a fan of someone, like cheering someone on. Like you're, you're a Jesus guy, you're a fan of him, you believe in him, you're kind of in on him. But then you ask the question, you're like, well, do you ever like do what he told you to do? They're like, not really. Did you ever give up what he told you to give up? Well, no, that's not really what I do. Like you call yourself a Christian because you're not a Buddhist or an atheist or a Muslim or a Hindu, but that's not what faith is. Listen, faith isn't about being a fan of Jesus. It's not about celebrating Jesus and being like, yeah, I'm in on Jesus and no one else. Listen, I want to be really clear here tonight. Faith is about being a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. In other words, it's not like being a fan in the stands who's up there celebrating and cheering on your guy. Being a person of faith, a man or a woman of faith, is about actually following Jesus and doing what he told you to do. Let me go back to that verse, the next slide here. Here, chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 1. It says, now faith is confidence. It's confidence in what, in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. In other words, faith is not just something we believe. It's not something in our head. It's not just something we feel. It's actually a confidence that gives us the ability to follow after Jesus. To say, I have faith in Jesus, is the exact same thing as saying, I have confidence in Jesus. I have assurance in Jesus. I'm so confident in Jesus that I'm willing to follow him wherever he goes. Like, I want you to think about it this way. So um, I was uh, in Nashville, Tennessee last week. And I was with my family, and we were out there with my wife's sister's family, and, and they live out there with their four kids. We visited with our three kids. And one night, we decided it'd be a fun thing for all of the families to jump in the cars and drive over to the Rainforest Cafe in Nashville. So we thought that would be fun, Rainforest Cafe. It's kind of cool, kind of cheesy, like animatronic little animals and this rain, thunderstorms. But the kids think it's cool, so we jump in the car. And we're driving over there. It's like a 20-minute drive. And they've got a car in front of us. They're in their car. We're in a rental car, and we're driving behind my brother-in-law. Now, he lives in Nashville. I don't. So I said, you lead the way. I'll follow. But just in case we get lost, I pulled it up on my little uh, app, on, on Apple Maps. And I was just saying, okay, in case we get lost or separated, now I'll know where to go. So we're driving along. Everything's going well. And then we reach an intersection. And at that intersection... The map on my phone tells me that I need to keep going forward. I need to keep going straight because that's the way to get to the Rainforest Cafe. But we reach this intersection, and as we're following behind them, my brother-in-law takes a right-hand turn. And suddenly, I have a decision to make. In that moment, I'm following after him in my car. Apple Maps says, go this way. I'm feeling like this way is the way to go. But the guy who lives in Nashville and knows how to get there and has been there a thousand times has just taken a right. Now I have a choice. Am I going to follow my instinct, or am I going to follow the guy who knows what he's doing? And here's what I want you to know. This is the question of faith. The question of faith isn't just like, what do you believe up here? What do you feel in your heart? What kind of religion do you practice? No, no, no. It's a different question entirely. It's this one. Am I confident that he is taking me in the right direction? That's the question I want you to ask about Jesus. And again, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to be so clear. Christian faith is not just believing intellectually a bunch of things about God. It's saying that Jesus said, here's how you're supposed to live. And faith is whether or not you're going to take the direction that seems right to you, or whether at this intersection you'll take the way that Jesus says is right for him. So like, let me give you a few examples. I want you to imagine you get burned by someone. Someone gossips about you, stabs you in the back, lets you down, hurts you. 
Like, if you've gotten to this point in your life and that's never happened, I have no idea how that's true. Like, that's happened a million times to me in my life. Someone burns me, hurts me, says something rude or hurtful. Now, here's what my natural instinct is to do. I wonder if anyone's like me. My natural instinct is you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. I'm going to get revenge on you. That's what my natural instinct wants to do. But here's what Jesus says. He says, no, 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 go this way. Forgive that person and show them mercy and kindness. Now, again, in that moment, I have this question. Like, when am I willing to follow Jesus when, when, when his way seems better? When, I'm sorry, let me go back. The question is this. The question is, am I confident that he's taking me in the right direction? Am I confident that he's taking me in the right direction? Or, or like, let me put it to you this way. Like, I want to imagine you're tempted by sin. You're just walking along, you're going through your life, you're going through your day, and there's this temptation for sin, and now you have an intersection. Am I going to give in to sin? Am I going to give in to this temptation? Or am I going to trust Jesus and resist that temptation? See, that's the question of faith. Faith isn't just what you think. It's not just what you feel. It's are you confident enough in Jesus to follow him where he's leading? Let me give you one more example. Um, you ever notice that like most of high school is just people looking at you being like, what are you going to do when you're done with high school? And you're like, I don't know, go to college, get a job, try not to die. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And so everyone's always forcing you to think about the future. And if you're like most high school students, what happens is you think about the future and you panic because your natural thing is, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to go to college, but what if I don't make it through college? What if I don't get a job? What if I don't have money? What if I don't have a house or food? What if everything falls apart and I'm living by the side of the road and then they kick me off the side of the road and they just say, you're done. Like there's this terror and fear and anxiety and worry. That's your natural instinct. But you know what Jesus does at this intersection? He says, hey, when you think about your future, don't go down the worst case scenario road. Trust me, it's all going to be okay. See, again, the question of faith isn't what do you think up here. It's not what do you feel in here. The principal question of faith is this. Am I confident that Jesus is bringing me in the right direction? And even more than that, it is a willingness. Faith is a willingness to follow Jesus when your way seems better. When your way seems better or feels better or appears better or you think it's better to you. And here's what I want to say boldly tonight to some of you. I talk about these moments where you actually have to decide, am I going to go Jesus' way or am I going to go my own way? And here's what I want to say boldly. I don't know if this is true of anyone in particular, but I believe it's probably true of some of you. I'm going to say boldly tonight that I think for some of you in the last couple weeks or the last couple months, you've been doing your own thing. You call yourself a Christian. You say you're following Jesus. Maybe even this summer you got on fire for Jesus at camp or at a mission trip last year or at some point in your life you just came on fire for Jesus and you were all in on him. But lately, you've been doing your own thing. You've been giving into sin. You've been wandering from the Lord. You've been worried and stressed out and anxious about the future. You've been giving into all the things of this world. You have been drifting from God. It was like things started off well, but somewhere along the way they went sideways. They got sidetracked. And if that's you tonight, I want you to know that tonight's sermon is for you, that I've been praying all week and thinking all weekend of just like, how can I present Hebrews 11 to a group of people in this room who were walking with Jesus at one point, but you got sidetracked on something else? Like, I want you to know tonight, if that's you, I believe the Holy Spirit of God has a message for you tonight. Like, I think God brought you here tonight so that you could hear what I'm about to preach. And then if that's not you tonight, if you're like, you know what, I'm following Jesus, I'm not perfect, but I'm really leaning into the Lord right now, praise God for you. But here's what I want to give you tonight. I want to give you, if you're struggling right now, four next steps when your faith gets sideways, when it gets sidetracked, when you were following after Jesus, but lately, in the last couple weeks, in the last couple months, you've just been giving in to your own way and your own desires. 
I want to show you what Hebrews 11 has to say to you. If your faith this fall has gotten sideways and sidetracked. Verse 3 says this. This is by faith. We understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that, what is seen, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So let me break down the sentence. It says, by faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command. That's the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything. When the Bible says the heavens and the earth, it means every single thing, every atom, every molecule, every energy, every star, every planet, God creates everything. And then it says this, so that what is seen, like all the stuff you see in the world, was not made out of what was visible. In other words, the entire universe wasn't made by the universe. That makes sense, right? The universe didn't make the universe. Something made the universe. And the fundamental question for you, especially if you're here and you're not a Christian, and I don't assume all of you are, but if you're here tonight and you're just checking out faith, here's the question I want you to wrestle with tonight. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why does the universe exist at all? And I'm not talking about like, why is the earth here? Yes, it was formed and all these planets came together, but I'm asking, where did that stuff come from? Why isn't there just a vast nothingness in all of the universe? Why is there something rather than nothing? See, this is the most fundamental human question. And maybe you've never thought of it, and maybe you've never really cared, but the question actually has profound implications on your life. Because if it's in fact true that there was nothing, and then suddenly everything came into being, you have to explain that. And if your explanation for the entire universe is nothing created everything out of nothing, you have more faith than I do. I just have no idea how you get there. I have no idea how you believe that nothing was there. There was nothing in the universe, and then suddenly everything popped out of nothing. I think that takes a lot more faith and a lot more um, guts to believe than to believe that nothing came out of something and that something's name is God. But let me give you one of the reasons we believe in our faith and one of the reasons that your faith is rooted here in this creation of the universe at God's command. This is something that uh, philosophers call the Kalam cosmological argument. So this will land for some of you. Uh, if this doesn't make any sense to you, just move along. It's okay. It's just a little part of the sermon. Kalam cosmological argument. Let me give you the first premise here. There's three premises. Number one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. So like your life began to exist at one point, and it wasn't when you were born, it was when you were conceived in your mother's womb. But you all know there was a cause to it, even if you don't want to think about the cause to your existence and your life. Everything that exists has a cause. If you walked up to a tree, I know this is a fake tree, and it was growing in the woods, you wouldn't be like, I bet you that just popped out of nowhere five seconds ago. No, you would say this has a cause, it was built somewhere. But it's even true for man-made things. This microphone here didn't just pop into existence out of nowhere. It was created. There was a cause. There was a force put upon it that actually created and placed this microphone right here on the stage. That's the first premise, and it makes all the sense in the world. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Premise number two, the universe began to exist. When we say the universe, we mean every single thing there is ever anywhere in all of space and time. That's what we mean by the universe. The universe began to exist, even if you are not a Christian. This is something that is believed by every single scientist universally now. The ancient people used to think the universe was just eternal, always there. And scientists now go, no, there was a moment, a cataclysmic moment called the Big Bang, where everything burst into existence from nothingness. This is what everyone believes. The universe began to exist. Now, here's what you need to know. If the first premise is true, that things don't pop into existence out of nowhere, and the second premise is true, that the universe exists and it began to exist. Here's the third premise that must be true. Therefore, the universe has a cause. 
The entire universe has a cause, and the cause wasn't itself. Things don't cause themselves to happen. This microphone didn't cause itself to exist. Something outside of it put force upon it that caused it to exist. The same thing is true with the universe. The universe didn't pop into existence out of nowhere, and you know it, and I know it. There was a cause, and that cause is something that is enormously powerful, unbelievably creative. Here's what William Lane Craig says. He says, the cosmological argument thus gives us powerful grounds for believing in the existence of a beginningless, uncaused, timeless, spaceless, changeless, immaterial, enormously powerful, personal creator of the universe. And guys, that's exactly what we mean by God. God created everything. See, tonight, I told you I was going to give you four next steps when your faith gets sidetracked. Here's number one. Remember your creator. Remember your creator. When you go to bed tonight, whether your faith is really strong or really weak right now, you go to bed and think about this question, where did this all come from? Because if this all came from nothing and we're just kind of a cosmic accident, you don't owe anything to God. But if God created this space, it means he owns this space and everything in it, including your life. Like when you walk into this high school room, you don't just assume this popped out of nowhere, right? Like we were walking around someday on this church campus and suddenly this popped up. We're like, this is beautiful and perfect. No, you assume someone created it. And it's the same for our universe. God created it. And when you get to your place where your faith is at your weakest, I want you to remember that there is a God who created you and a God who created this entire universe. And once you understand that the universe was formed at God's command, that is your first step back to the creator who created you. Number one, if you're drifting sideways in your faith right now, Remember your creator. Number two, this is verse four. It says, by faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. So what Hebrews 11 is gonna do is it's gonna march through the entire Bible telling story after story after story of people who are walking by faith. And some of you grew up in church, and so you know the story of Cain and Abel, but some of you didn't grow up in church. You're not really familiar with the Bible. So let me tell you the story real briefly. You got Adam and Eve, the first two human beings. And you know what they did? They do the thing every human being does. For all of human history, human beings, they get together and they had babies. And they had a baby named Cain and a baby named Abel. And these two babies grow up to be young men, they're brothers. And here's the story of Cain and Abel. The story of Cain and Abel is that Cain is a farmer. He's creating food out of the ground, this beautiful thing that allows life and sustenance. And Abel is a shepherd. Abel is actually raising up sheep and actually allowing these sheep to live and raising up sheep. You got Cain and you got Abel. And Cain and Abel both come before the Lord and they offer him an offering. And here's what it says in Genesis 4. It says, Cain brought some of the fruits of the field, of the soil, and offered it to the Lord. And then it says, Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, at first glance, you might be like, well, Cain was a farmer and he brought some food. And Abel was a shepherd and he brought some food. So it seems like they're both offering something meaningful to the Lord. But here's what I want you to know. God rejects Cain's offering, but accepts Abel's offering. And why, you ask? Well, it's right there in the text. Notice it says Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Like in other words, Cain was like, well, here's a banana and here's an apple. Here you go, God, whatever you want. He just kind of gives God the leftovers a little bit. It doesn't cost him much. It doesn't mean much to him. He just kind of gives God a little bit because he feels like he's supposed to. But Abel does something different. Notice what it says here. Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now you may think fat portions sounds kind of bad. Like fat portions doesn't sound really good. That'd be like a terrible name of a restaurant. Come to fat portions. You know, like, but, but that's not what happens here. 
Fat portions mean it's like the healthiest of his sheep, the healthiest of his lambs from the firstborn among the flock. Like in other words, Cain goes, God, you can have the leftovers. But you know what Abel says? God, I will give you my first and my best because I trust you by faith. I will give you my first and my best, what means the most to me. Because God, I believe when I sacrifice to you, I always receive more in return because God, I get to experience you. Listen, tonight we're talking about four next steps when your faith gets sidetracked and sideways. The first is that you remember your creator. Here's the second, that you sacrifice something that matters. Let me speak to you clearly tonight. If you wanna get back on track with God, you need to sacrifice something that matters to you. You just saying like, God, I've been far from you, so I guess you know once in a while I'll show up at church and I'll pray like before meals. Like, okay, like that's a beautiful thing and that's a nice thing, but that's not actually gonna get you back on track as needed. What we see all throughout the Bible is people make sacrifices. And I want you to know that these sacrifices are not to forgive sins. Like I wanna be really abundantly clear that there was one sacrifice that forgave sins. It's not yours, it's not mine, it's Jesus on the cross bleeding and dying for your sins and your salvation. So when I offer sacrifices before the Lord, it's not because he's gonna forgive my sin, he's already done that. When I offer sacrifices before God, it's because I wanna give up something that I think is valuable because I know that God is infinitely more valuable. Like here's the way I want you to think about sacrifice. You give up what you want now for what you want most. You give up what you want now for what you want most. And here's what you already know. This is how you do life. Like if you are someone who gets really good grades, that wasn't me in high school, but if that's you and you get really good grades, here's what happens. You give up what you want now, like sleeping in and kind of being on your phone and playing video games and not really studying. You give up what you want now and you study so that you can get what you want most. If you're like a high level athlete, you give up sort of being lazy and not really training and not really trying and practicing. You give all that up so that you can get what you want most. And if you are following after Jesus, and you are sideways right now, you're off in the far country, you've wandered away, your faith is weak right now, I wanna challenge you to give up what you want now for what you want most, because every single time we sacrifice, we become a living sacrifice before the Lord, what we receive is far better, because we receive God's presence. Like just last week, I was chatting with someone who said they're just kind of feeling far from the Lord, so for the entire month of December, the first through the 31st, they were just gonna delete social media off their phone. They said, it's not forever. It's not because social media is bad. I just know I'm getting so distracted by that that I don't have any time left for the Lord, so I'm deleting it. You know what she's doing? She's sacrificing what she wants now for what she wants most. You know what I think some of you need to do? Give your phone to your parents for a week. Just say, I don't need this for a week. And some of you are like, it'd be like giving up my left arm. Yeah, give up something you want now for what you want most. Sacrifice something that matters to you. You know what you might wanna do? Some of you need to go to winter camp. We were talking about winter camp earlier. And some of you are like, yeah, but I got like that thing that weekend. It's that party. It's that like thing with my, my friends. It's that trip I was going to go on. It's this thing that's really important. You know what? It might be time for a sacrifice to say, I'm going to give up that thing I want now for the thing I want most, which is God. You know what some of you need to do? You need to read the entire New Testament before the end of the year. Sit down and read all 27 books of the Bible. Carve out that time. Put down your phone. Turn off the TV and spend time with the Lord. Give up what you want now for what you want most. Can I give you a bold one? Some of you need to sit down with your parents tonight and tell them about your addiction to pornography or your issue with alcohol or drugs. And you know what will happen the moment you do that? You will give up your pride. You might even end up giving up some of your freedom. But you will give up what you want now for what you want most, which is freedom in Christ Jesus. I wanna challenge you to do something dramatic 
to do something big. To not just say, well, I want to kind of get back with the Lord, but I'll just kind of keep doing all the things I'm already doing. No, I want to challenge you to be like Abel, who doesn't just offer like a little bit here and there, but he gives the thing that matters most to him right now. He gives something that feels sacrificial and meaningful, and God looks upon that sacrifice and says, I accept this. I receive it. I want to challenge some of you to do something bold to do something drastic, to actually step into your faith. Why? Because Jesus isn't someone we're just a fan of. He's someone we're supposed to follow. Faith means actually following after Jesus and doing something. I want to encourage you toward that. Verse 5 says this. It says, By faith Enoch was was taken away from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So again, the story of Enoch is one of those stories, if you don't really know the Bible well, you don't know. Even people who knew the Bible super well don't often know who Enoch is. So let me read you the whole story of Enoch. This is his entire life story. Genesis 5:23. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. You go, how could God do that? He snapped his fingers and created the universe. He's quite capable of that. All right, 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. I love the story of Enoch. It's like he was just walking so closely with God, arm in arm, right next to God, and at one point God just goes, nope, we're done here, and just takes him away to heaven. In fact, Enoch is one of only two people in the entire Bible who never dies. Does anyone here know the other person who never dies in the Bible? Elijah. A few people said Elijah. I asked the room that question once, and someone shouts out, Jesus. I'm like, no, that fella died. But then he rose back up again. Like, that's the story of Jesus, and the story uh, in the Bible is Enoch doesn't die, Elijah doesn't die. But he gets to go be with God. But you know what's wild about his story? He lived for 365 years. Some of you have lived for like 14, 15, 16, 17 years. And are there moments you wake up and some days you wake up and you don't really want to follow Jesus? I'm 35 years old. I got to let you know. There's some days I wake up on fire for the Lord and there's some days I'm really into myself. I'm really into me. I don't feel it. I don't feel like I want to worship. I don't feel like I want to pray. I don't feel like I want to read the Bible. I know Enoch experienced that because he's a human just like you and me. But you know what Enoch did? Over the course of 365 years, he didn't determine whether he'd be faithful to God or not based on his feelings. He determined whether he'd be faithful to God, whether or not based on his choice, on his obedience. Here's the next step for when your faith gets sidetracked. Number three, obey before you feel. Obey before you feel it. Some of you have actually wandered away from the Lord. You've gotten sidetracked on your faith. You're doing your own thing because you don't feel the same way you felt back at camp. You don't feel the same way you felt last summer. You don't feel the same way you felt last winter camp. But here's what you need to know. Feelings are a terrible way to judge whether or not you're going to obey God. See, here's how most teenagers do it. They have faith, and that faith leads to feelings, and based on their feelings, they obey. It goes faith, feelings, then obedience. But here's the problem. If you base your obedience based on feelings, you know what your feelings do to you sometimes? They lie to you. You ever felt something and you know it's not true, but you still feel it inside of you? You ever felt something and you tell someone else how you feel? They go, what? Why do you feel that way? I didn't look at you that way. You're like, no, you looked at me and you gave me this sideways glance and it made me think you hate me, right? Like that's how it goes. Feelings lie to you. They're inconsistent. They come and they go. Sometimes you don't have feelings because you're sick or you're tired. Sometimes you have feelings because you're sick or you're tired. They're not dependable. And they're not a foundation for your faith. So here's how it should go. Next one is that it goes faith, then obedience. I am a man of faith. I follow after Jesus. When I reach the intersection of doing what I want to do or going the way Jesus told me to do, I'm going to choose the way Jesus tells me to do every time. Why? Because I'm confident he's leading me the right direction. 
And then what happens after we obey? Here's the beautiful thing. I found this true in my life. I think your leaders will find it true in their lives. Once you obey, the feelings often follow. It's not that they follow in every single moment. It's that you obey and the feelings follow later. See, like we're going to worship in a few minutes here. And here's my concern. Some of you go, well, if I feel it, I'll raise my hands in the air and really cry out to God. But if not, I'm not feeling it in the moment, I'm not going to do that. Why in the world would you let your feelings direct your obedience rather than the other way around? See, what I want for you is to be a person who obeys, who says, God, I'm called to worship you, so I'm going to cry out during the next set of worship. My hands are going to be in the air. I'm going to drop to my knees. I'm going to call out to my God. And if the feelings come, great. But if they don't come, that's fine too, because I'm not here worshiping my feelings. I'm here worshiping my God. See, that's the invitation for us, that we are a people who obey, not out of feelings, not out of what's going on inside of us, but we obey simply because of who God is. Verse six says this way, this is how our text ends tonight. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So, so we're told here that without faith, we can't please God. And again, faith isn't what we think, it's not what we feel, it's the confidence we have to follow after Jesus, even when our way seems better. It's the confidence we have to say, Jesus, I trust you and I believe you and I'm going after you. Without faith, we can't please God. It says anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. So like you actually have to have this confidence that God is there. This isn't just a religious thing we do. It's not just a good morality. It's that there is actually a God who is present in this room. He created the universe. And then it says that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I think this is the best news I could possibly tell you tonight. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is the fourth and final one. Four steps when your faith gets sidetracked. Number one, remember your creator. Number two, sacrifice something that matters. Number three, obey before you feel. Number four, seek the reward. Seek the reward. The God of the universe has a promise to you. And I'm going to tell you here on the authority of the word of God Almighty tonight that there is a reward for you if you seek after God. If you're not a Christian and you're kind of an atheist, you're an agnostic, you're not really sure, seek after God. There's a reward for you. If you love Jesus and you grew up in church and you're all in on Jesus, if you're part of the worship team, you're part of a small group, you're all in on this, seek the Lord your God. There is a reward coming for you if you do. See, the Bible doesn't say, oh, there's rewards, but don't seek after them. No, the Bible says seek after the reward as if it's some kind of motivation for us. We should be motivated by the fact that says God, God says, you want to come find me? I have a reward for you. Now, people ask all the time, what's the reward that God's going to give me? And I have a really frustrating answer for you. I have no idea. I think it's possible that God has a different reward for you than he does for you, than he does for you, than he does for me, than he does for the people in the booth. But here's what I know. Like, I know my God, and I know that reward is worth seeking after. It's like this. Like, I had a friend um, in college whose dad was a pastry chef. Pastry chef. And so you got this guy, and he's making these incredible pastries, these incredible cookies, these incredible culinary delights. And the one year I hear that he is actually going to be delivering me a box of Christmas cookies, a little tin that he has cooked himself. And this was an amazing realization. The amazing realization being like, I'm about to get this tin of cookies. And you know what I didn't do when I heard I was getting a tin of cookies? I didn't go, well, what kind of cookies are we talking about here? Oatmeal raisin? Chocolate chip? Sugar pudding? Ginger snap? Any ginger snaps in there? I didn't ask him about what kind of cookies. I didn't inquire to make sure it sounded good to my ears. Here's what I simply knew. I knew that if it was a gift from him, it was going to be good. And here's what you need to know. The God of the universe says, seek me. I have a reward from you. And you better believe it's if it's a gift from your God, it's going to be good. It's going to be worth it. 
It's going to be worth everything you sought after. It's going to be worth every step you took, every bold move of faith, every action of obedience, everything as you seek after God, it's going to be worth it. And why do I know it's going to be worth it? Because God, who did not even spare his own son for you, is willing to give you everything. This is the story of Jesus. God says, I love you so much, I'm willing to send my son Jesus into the world to die for your sins, rise from the dead, that you, a sinner, might have a relationship with him. This is the God who says, I'm going to reward you. And you know what's so cool about that God? He hasn't changed since the Bible times. Sometimes people think like, oh, God was really good back then, but now he's just kind of hanging back. No, no, no. Here's what Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is some of the best news you will ever hear in your life. Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross, as he was hanging on the cross, bleeding and dying for your sin because he loves you, he's the same Jesus today. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Which means this, don't miss this. God's love for you doesn't change one bit. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what's happened this fall, the last couple weeks, the last couple months, God's love for you doesn't change one single bit. Let me declare these truths over you. If your faith is strong right now, Jesus loves you. And child of God, if your faith is weak right now, Jesus loves you. If you are seeking God with all your heart right now, Jesus loves you. And listen, if you are walking away from God and living a double life that no one in this room knows about, you are sinning in ways that no one in this room has any clue is true, Jesus loves you. And finally, I want you to know if you feel close to God right now, Jesus loves you. But if you feel far from God right now, he loves you too. See, this is the amazing thing about the fact that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's like Jesus is just standing there with open arms. He's like, I want to embrace you. I want to hug you. I want to tell you I love you and I'm proud of you and that you've done it well and that you can come to me. He's just standing there. And you can run into the arms of Jesus. You can run away from the arms of Jesus. And there he sits, just saying, I'm here. I'm here when you're ready to come home to me. Like, can I just speak this over you tonight? If you are far from God right now, if you are far from God, it's not God who moved. It's not him who moved. Jesus is standing there with his arms wide open, and that might feel like shame to you, but I want you to know it's the opposite. It's the best news in the universe. And the reason it's the best news in the universe is simply this, that if God hasn't changed, it means tonight you can turn from your sin and run back to him. His arms are open wide, and he says, come home, my child. That's the best news in the world, and that's the invitation for you. The invitation for you tonight, if you've moved, if you've drifted, if you've gone sideways, if you've been weak in your faith, is to say tonight is a change. Things don't have to be this way. Like here's the question I wanna close with. What if you took a step of faith back to God today? Tonight, right now in this service. If you've been drifting, if you've been wandering, there's a Jesus who stands here with open arms and says, come home to me. I love you, I see you, I want you, and there's nothing you could possibly do that would change that. And with that kind of love and that kind of faithfulness, why would you not run back into the arms of the one who created you, who sees you, who loves you, and calls you his own? So here's what we're gonna do. All across this room, uh, we're gonna give an invitation. And the invitation is simple. That if you've been wandering far from God, if you've been doing your own thing, if you're sidetracked in your faith right now, but you're going, you know what, tonight I need to come back to the Jesus whose arms are open wide. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond to that right now. So would you close your eyes all across this place, bow your heads. Take a deep breath. Fill your lungs with air right now.
and know that the same God who created you created the breath in your lungs that you might come home to him tonight. And so here's the invitation. Man, if you've been walking with Jesus solidly the last couple weeks, the last couple months, this isn't for you. But if you've been sideways, sidetracked, doing your own thing, wandering in your own direction, right now I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna give you an invitation to identify yourself. And you'll do that by just looking straight at me. All the heads are bowed, eyes are closed. But if that's you, I just wanna speak to you. I wanna pray for you and I want us to sing. So on three, if that's you right now, you've been sideways, but you wanna come back to the Jesus who opens his arms and says, come home tonight. On three, one, two, three, look straight at me. All over this room. Doesn't have to be everyone, but keep looking straight at me. Young lady, young man, I want you to know God loves you. Jesus sees you. He knows everything that's happened and he still wants you anyway. He hasn't abandoned you, he hasn't forsaken you, he hasn't left, he hasn't done anything other than welcome you home and that's exactly what he wants to do tonight. He sees you, he loves you, and he gives you this opportunity to come home to him that you might be a man of God, a woman of God, walking by faith and in confidence of who he is. The God of the universe does not look at you with disgust, he looks at you with delight because you're his child and he loves you. So I wanna pray for those of you who are looking at me right now. And then after we pray, all of us are gonna stand. And not based on how we feel or what we think or what's going on inside of us right now, we're just gonna come before the Lord and obey and worship the God who sees us and who is always there. Father in heaven, I pray for those who are looking at me right now. And I ask that you would do a healing work in their heart that you would turn their hearts back to Jesus, that you would fill them with faith, that you would give them the courage to obey and the wisdom to walk by your word. God, may they be men and women whose hearts are oriented toward you in every conceivable way. And as they close out 2023, may this be a faith-filled, bold kind of month where they step into what you have for them. God, would you fill them with faith, fill them with courage, fill them with love, fill them with worship. Even right now as they sing, God, may their hearts be turned back to the one who created them. God, may you receive the glory and the honor and the praise now and forevermore. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said real loud, Thanks so much for joining us here on the Calvary HSM podcast. We would love if you could connect with us on social media using the handle at CalvaryHSM805 on Instagram or going to our website, calvarywestlake.org slash HSM. We always have fun things going on and we want you to be a 